0: Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And this show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. I'm really excited today to have Dr. Mel- Melanie Richberg on the show. Melody, Dr. Melanie Richberg is the CEO at Lynn County Hospital District. She has a really interesting background, very different perspectives. Anyway, I won't steal her thunder. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Hey, thank you, Anthony. It's nice to visit with you.
0: Much appreciated. Much appreciated. Thanks for making time. But I think the most important thing is I love stories. I love origin stories. Tell us about how you became the person that you are. Tell us about your origin story, maybe the series of events that have led you to where you're at today.
1: Well, I can say that when I was in high school, I wanted to be a nurse, uh, I actually had gotten sick and had to stay home an extended time uh, from school because back then when you were sick, they didn't, you know, make you go to school.
0: Mm-hmm. They
1: just sent you home till you felt like you were good enough to go back. You didn't have as many rules. And I watched um, some televisions and there were some pretty awesome people that were nurses. And so from that on, that point on, I started taking extra science classes and chemistry classes and things that were really really hard for a a jock. I played a lot of basketball and sports Mm. but I knew that at some point um, I had to have a career and nursing was uh, very interesting to me. So I went to college as a nursing major and probably one of the most profound things that one of my counselors said to me one day when I once again didn't get accepted into an associate's degree nursing program is she says you need to go back. You need to transfer to a different university and get a degree in nursing. I had no idea that there was such a thing. I just wanted to be a nurse, an RN. And she said, no, you need to get a degree in nursing. Mm. So I did that. I transferred, got a degree in nursing from Hardin Simmons University in Abilene. And nurse practitioner training was fairly new in our area. It was it was more known in the North. We used a lot of PAs down in the South because of as many military bases we have. And then all the guys would get out of the military and most of them were PAs. So they started a nurse practitioner program there in Abilene. And I was uh, one of the first four students in that program Mm -hmm. because I I, I started as a nurse in nursery working with women and children and newborn uh, infants. And I I kept thinking "There's, there's something missing. There's there's a bigger picture here. There's you see them when they're born and then they go home and, and then you never see them again. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I, I want to see the whole picture. Mm -hmm. So I, um, started a family nurse practitioner program, graduated from that. And I grew up on a 180 acre cotton farm. I graduated from a small school. That's not even, doesn't even have a post office or a grocery store that, uh, graduated with 13 people in my senior class. So Rural, remote areas, um, it's what I love. And mm. I went to a small community up in Albany and was in there, that community for about five years providing primary care. I was, I was the only health care provider in that town five days a week. And one day a week, there was no veterinarian. And so I've taken care of a few hamsters and birds and kitty cats because <laughs> that's what you do when mm-hmm. a five-year-old brings their kitty that has a hurt paw to the doctor is you take care of the patient. Mm -hmm. Um, Then that gig ended and went back and was in Abilene for a little while. Got, it's a larger, uh, it's probably about 200,000 people and it was a little larger than Albany and it just didn't feel right. It wasn't what was natural to me. So I began to look for a different opportunity to help what I consider underserved population Ended up at working for a community health center in Lubbock for at-risk clients. It was still a large community. Lubbock is around three hundred thousand people, mm-hmm. and was there three years. And again, something just I was missing something. And I laugh and tell people that this job that I've had, um, or this organization I work for now for fifteen years, I had to convince them to hire me. And I finally told him, I said, you're not going to find very many people that want to come to a rural community. Most people come because they can't find something in the bigger city because there's not a lot of people that like rural medicine. And I love it. And I've been here 15 years. I went back in 2013 and got my doctorate in executive leadership because I knew eventually I would lead an organization. I didn't know that it would come as quick as it did, but I need to arose for our organization to have strong leadership and and passionate leadership. Uh, Mm -hmm. Am I the smartest CEO ever? Absolutely not. But I will say my passion and for this organization, I I could stand up to anybody. So that's, that's what got me in this, you know, office that I'm now in Mm -hmm. is that I created a, a resume, if you will, of, Mm Strong passion and organization and leadership. And that's that's my mission every day is to lead this organization forward.
0: I love it. I love it. Yeah, no, I can hear and see it. And so, you know, yeah, so I really appreciate your resiliency. And, um, and I love the way you phrase it is like, look, you're not going to find someone else. Like, I think there's no better point of question. Imagine how many people would get jobs if they just told the other person kind of like what to do. Like, Hey, look, you're not going to find someone like me. You should move forward. Right. And so I appreciate that. I can definitely imagine you were probably a a great basketball player on the court that no one wanted to mess with either. Well,
1: I I, I have a hard time talking about all my accolades, but yeah, I was a all American my last year that I played basketball. Yeah. It was a, it was a division. Probably would have been a division school now, that was close to 30 years ago that I was playing ball. Um, Mm -hmm. But they, um, I knew that if you were, if I was going to play basketball and there's a lot of awesome basketball players out there, first of all, wasn't big enough to play with the big leagues. Mm -hmm. And secondly, I did most of the, most of my friends that were playing were going to be coaches or teachers and, and our, our accountants. And I'm like, Oh, I can't do either one of those. I would probably be a terrible teacher i'd be wanting to have too much fun and you can't do that so and i'm sure and i'm better with numbers than i was i better not say that on don't don't publicize that but um, (laughs) but you got to have a special knack for numbers and i didn't i didn't want to be an accountant but right but i love rural health i love the people in the community and right you know the being out in the middle of nowhere doesn't necessarily frighten me
0: but all America, I mean, basketball, I mean, that's something that's just in you. That's in your DNA, right? Like that's, you know, the desire to perform, to do well. You know, the numbers work itself out. Obviously, you're, yeah. you know, in your position, right? You know, you, you kind of need to look at a few numbers and look at the scoreboard yeah. and you know what to do. And, and the and the score takes care of itself, right? Yeah. And so that's the beauty of like having a, a background and a mindset of performance in yeah. sports. Well, um, and so I played in, I played point guard in. In, in high school, um, I'm yeah. shooting guard. And so I, I always love the sports analogies. And whenever I have removed myself from even practicing and shooting around, I, I, you know, I guess said another way, you know, the more yeah. I can integrate that stuff, the more, the better well, I am at business, you know,
1: I'm highly competitive and, mm-hmm. and but and I, I love to win,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: more than anything, I want, I, I want to be on a team and mm-hmm. I want us to, to have even if we don't have the most points at the end of the day i want the whole experience to be considered a win and, and right. i think that 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 helps you in how can we figure out a way to do it better because if right. we didn't score enough points to win the game then rather than getting depressed let's get back in the locker room or get back in the gym and let's practice and let's figure out some more tricks right and let's win this game and right. i think in healthcare it's hard and it's sometimes it's like that you what you thought was going to work didn't work and so instead of saying oh my gosh what do we do just get back in the office or in the boardroom and let's talk about this and let's figure out a way to win
0: yeah yeah get back in the locker i love that analogy and so it's okay. super powerful and it's funny you know how many how many hospitals don't call timeouts like that or, or go into the locker room right yeah. they just keep going and then burnout yeah. propagates and but I guess I'm more positive. Anyway, the talking to you is very refreshing. I appreciate your mindset. I can imagine like the people around you are really admiring your your leadership mentality. And that's what people need, I think, these days. But nothing about me. I I, I want to hear a little bit about, you touched so many t- topics and subjects. Well, first of all, congratulations. I'll bring into the conversation what you and I talked about a little bit before we started is that you just completed a fundraiser right this weekend. And So that that sounds fun. And that's you're touching upon some really interesting factors you'll be able to use you know, that money for, um, some transportation, transportation related projects, but tell me a little bit about something you're passionate about health today. Like what has your fascination today in healthcare? Like one thing, and I'd love for you to just, you know, elaborate on that and why you're fascinated by it.
1: Well, I I wish I could look up the true definition of fascination Uh because I I think in, in that definition, there's probably something that would be in the realm of unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And so if I say, if you use the word fascination, one of the things that fascinates me on a daily basis is how healthcare from the time I started, saw my first patient in as a, as a nurse practitioner in uh, 1996. And -hmm. that as it's, as healthcare has evolved to what it is today, I am amazed at the technology and not just the, the test and the machines. That's incredible. But just how, like what you and I are doing right now, we're having an interview over a computer Mm -hmm. and the, the tele electronics, the electronic medical record, how it's, morphed into this tool and this monster of information that is now applicable or available, not applicable, available to your patients. And so you would think in some regards that that means we're going to have the healthiest people ever. Well, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. And so I'm an awed every day by there's so much information available to me as a provider to you as a consumer um and we still every day have the highest rate of mortality because of tobacco or Mm. because of heart disease because the people are sedentary and and so i don't really feel like you know the problems haven't changed our our um reaction to the problems we've changed some of our approaches but we know more about the problems now than we did 20 years ago, but we still haven't figured out a way to, to fix them. You know, Mm -hmm. I I tell people the the only people that never had to worry about losing their job is an undertaker, because we can keep people alive a little bit longer, but we're, you know, we still, there's an end. And I I guess that speaks to our, you know, your mortality, but, um, so that fascinates me every day is the technology and then insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm probably going to be using some sports analogies. Your, your coaches can't run the rest down on an interview because I think they get fined for it. So <laughs> I, I'm certainly not going to say hey, an insurance company because I don't want to get fined by an insurance company. But right, right. I am, It is. it is so frustrating how. Everything we do every day, it, the focus is almost away from the patient sometimes because we can't think about, we as providers or we as mm-hmm. clinicians can't always think about what's the best thing to help this patient get to a better quality of life, a healthier quality of life, because we, we've we got to run it through a filter that's, that's um, controlled by insurance companies. Right. That, just because I think you need an MRI on your head doesn't necessarily mean you need an MRI on your head according to insurance. Right. And that, that is fascinating, again, going into that unbelievable effect that yeah. that we can put that much control and we have allowed that much control to be given by someone that's not even in the same room with you and the patient.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So those are probably two of my biggest fascinations that – that amaze me and humble me and mm-hmm. frustrate me every day.
0: Yeah, you know it's it, it's like a dichotomy, right? You know, all this technology, but yet you still have you know mm. the insurance yeah. side. And just listening yeah. to you a little bit, you're inspiring me potentially to uh, to start writing a comic based on health insurance, right? Maybe like a oh. little Gilbert comic. I'll yeah. have, have you help me ghostwrite. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, wait, um, make
1: sure you use w- their character should be a big gorilla.
0: i love it i love it you know what's funny is no one disagrees not even in yeah yeah and so but that's that bears with it an interesting opportunity how do you win how do we win in this world so there's some opportunities that i see there's some possibilities but what what has you optimistic about the future and how we can win so it feels like we are at halftime right And you get to go in the locker room and potentially drop some things on the board, motivate the right areas, um, whether it's on the payer provider side, maybe there's policy change. Uh, What are some things that have uh, your optimism that if they're put together the right way, can can smooth things out a lot more for us to win?
1: Well, I think media and I think
0: Mm -hmm. just
1: having the information out there. um, You know, you can. You can like or dislike how the last presidential the presidential election went. But I think mm-hmm. one of the things that was proven with that is media is a tool. And it can mm-hmm. be used to the positive or it can be used to the negative. Again, depending on mm-hmm. um, which side of the fence that you were setting on. And so I think with consumers getting fed up with not being able to have access to the care they want or the care they're wanting. They have these, you know, exorbitant deductibles that they now have to meet. Mm -hmm. People, in my opinion, just want to go somewhere to somebody they trust and they respect and be cared for. They Mm -hmm. don't want to have to be half as smart as the provider they're seeing to make sure they're getting the care that they need. Because they're not going to do it. They want to. They want to just somebody help them make a decision that's going to help them feel better mm-hmm. and get and have it be paid for. I mean, not not any of us want to have insurance that we can't use. Right. So I think the consumers with proper education um, should improve that. Right. Uh, I don't know. I hope you're right. I hope it is halftime, and I hope it's just not the first TV timeout. And <laughs> you know that that's going to be a long game. Um,
0: yeah,
1: but I, I'm hoping that 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 is gives me hope. I know that I've dealt with a lot of the legislators and representatives and senators, and on not only just at the state level here in Texas and in my region and my district, but even at the national level, because there's there's things that affect Texas differently than they affects New Mexico, for example. Right. I mean, with Medicaid right. expansion and mm-hmm. those types of things. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm hopeful that that will help
0: uh, facilitate oh, yeah.
1: some change.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, no. This is super powerful. So, so let me ask you, so um, what else do you see happening like in the future? Do you, do you think that, you know, what, what, what else needs to happen for us to focus on that, that simplified, like personalized, more on demand care, like really focusing on the patient, giving them care, but also, you know, doing it in the least costly manner possible. Like what else do you see happening? Like in the future, maybe like it it might be 10 years out, 20 years out, maybe it's five years out, but what else do you see happening in this space or some, some interesting things that may need to happen?
1: Well, I think patients have, First of all, got to have access to care, and mm-hmm. ac- and when then when you put under access to care, then your next bullet point would be appropriate level of care.
0: Right, right, um,
1: and the next one you would put is available medical care. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't discount the the um, effectiveness of telemedicine in like you and I are doing, I don't discount that at all. Mm -hmm. What I, what I do discount is that you could call me up on my computer and I can look at you and you're in California. Correct.
0: Right. Right. And
1: I'm in Texas and I can look at you and say, Anthony, I think you have a sinus infection and here's your medicine. Well, there's not, if I had seen you 15 times then I'm going to know a whole lot more about your primary health and would be able to take that into consideration. So I think some, sometimes the the available pr- primary care is not always um, as available as it should be, in my opinion, in rural and remote areas.
0: Yeah. The, I, well, you raise a good point, Dante. Could, uh, sorry. Sorry sorry keep going I'm sorry. i sorry yeah
1: and, and well and then and then there's not a lot of money in it um, yeah i mean there's just not a lot of money in primary care where you get paid less for a visit well then you got to pay you got to pay uh, a copay which is no big deal most people are ready to pay their copays Then
0: right. that
1: makes your numbers that you have to see um, go higher and able in order for you to make payroll and pay your bills and get all, get all that stuff done. But the other thing that, that kind of hamstrings us is I have providers that still want to make a decent living and they went to school so that they could make a certain level of income. So I already have to pay a physician probably what he would make and maybe a little more if he was, you know, thirty miles up the road at one of these larger medical play, uh, towns, Lubbock, for example, near Right. So he can go up there, but there's a bigger population of patients, and so he's he may if he needs to see forty patients a day. That's probably doable because he has that big of a net, if you will, he can throw out to capture these patients. But when you serve in a rural, remote area, and there's not industry, and there's not jobs, and You know, your school system is losing families every year. And so it's getting smaller and smaller. You've got a grocery store that is barely selling enough groceries to to stay afloat. If you don't have schools and you don't have health care, your community is going to dry up and go away. Now, there's an analogy in Texas we use is a three legged stool. You've got health care. You've got good uh, schools. And then the other one they would say would be good churches. Well, In some other communities, they'd say you got to have a good barbecue, but you got (laughs) to have a place to get food. Right? Uh, If you're having to drive 40 miles to get food, then you might as well move closer to it and get a job. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens to a lot of our blue collar workers. Is Mm -hmm. you know they've got to go where the work is. Number one, and where the commodities are that they can consume. Number two, and healthcare is a is a commodity. And if you if you're not delivering it, they're going to go somewhere else to get it.
0: Right. Right. And Melanie, so that's what I was going to ask you as well is like, what's the differences between like, you know, being in a rural area versus like a major metro area. But as you're listening to you, I'm wondering, like, uh, there's a lot of, you know, CEOs that w- we've had on show as well that, that, you know, are have taken the stand, you know, to, to grow a community for a, a, a hospital in a rural area. How do you recruit for that? How do you lead that area you know where where you know the de facto is like wow well i'm gonna you know i'm gonna work for kaiser permanente go out to california or i'm gonna mount sinai and go to new york i'm 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 too skilled for this you know you've heard and seen it but probably there's some opportunity there to recruit like what's the not the narrative but like what's your what's your mindset on like, you know selling people you told me obviously you're you're mentioning why why you took a stand you're like you know what it's uh you know, your, your competition mindset, your, your challenge mindset. Right. But
1: yeah, well, what, I believe, that? Yeah. yeah, I, I, I it, it is my personal motto that first of all, I choose to be in a rural community mm-hmm. and, and I'm not the smartest, you know, pencil in the box, but I'm up to the top in this, you know, I'm, I did not get here because I'm an idiot, but, but we've got smart educated intelligent people out here and they choose to be here and there you cannot give me one valid reason why everyone in in my community but every citizen that lives in the rural community what what people probably don't think about every day is that 9% of our population in the United States is rural and so mm-hmm. if you looked at your hands and we don't have 10 fingers but for practical purposes we've got 10 <laughs> fingers and 10 toes and right. so i tell people which finger could you live without And we don't any of us want to lose live, live, live without any of our fingers i want all of mine and my thumbs too but um and so if, if, if 10% of our population or 9% of our population is living in rural areas, why do they deserve substandard anything? Why can't they have clean water and clean air and available EMS service and an adequate standard of care for healthcare delivery? I can promise you insurance is ex- going to expect me and pay me to deliver standard of care. So right. I don't understand and I will never accept the fact that because we're a real community that we don't do it as good as one of the as one of the big boxes up the street. No, I can't do open heart surgery. But by golly, I can have a hospital acquired infection rate of zero. I can have a fall rate of zero. I can measure myself to all the appropriate measurements that they measure themselves against to approve quality of care. I can measure against every one of those and I can set the standard and meet the standard And so I deserve to get paid. But again, Mm -hmm. if my volume is low, then I need some incentive. I need some assistance, if you will, from programs that allow me to charge a little more for certain procedures, um, have Mm -hmm. a little different fee structure, because if you're going to help me keep my doors open. Right. And I'm going to have to have some assistance somewhere else. I'm not getting more people here to serve. So I need to get paid a little more for the people I do serve.
0: Right. Right. No, this I, is awesome. I, yeah, I appreciate I, it. I appreciate your mindset. I appreciate the way you look at it. And I think it sets a really good framework and example for other CEOs and soon to be CEOs at other rural places across the U.S. I mean, we're we're trying to dive a lot deeper on this topic. And obviously, you know, we're touching on the social determinants aspect of it. And uh, no, it's super super fascinating um yeah
1: so i'll share with you a you know a, a little story mm-hmm. you know when we first we got on the phone together i told you i was having a really good day cuz found out we raised over fifty fifty thousand dollars at a
0: so good was
1: our 39th annual um hospital auction that we raised money for mm-hmm. and it was the most we've ever raised last year we raised, we raised um i think between 43 and 45,000 dollars last year and this year right now our last count was 52-1 and we Mm -hmm. think one of the time we get all the things paid for we're going to be pushing right around $54,000 and when I was standing at the back because when you're the CEO you don't get a design or designated job you just sort of get to walk around and hold babies and shake hands (laughs) and give hugs yeah and so with this guy as he was leaving he picked up his gift that he had bought and was he walked by me he and his wife and He said, you know, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. And I was like, yeah, I know you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me. He is a cowboy. Uh huh. He had been out riding a horse and rounding up cows all day long. And he was having some chest pain. And so he came in the clinic and he smelled like he'd been on a horse all day. Mm -hmm. And we put him in a room, checked him out, didn't like some of the stuff we saw. Mm-hmm. sent him on out to the hospital to get an EKG and get his blood work done. And the lab called me and sent his EKG over to me and said he he had left. He had to go take his horse and get it out of the trailer. And so he was going to go do that and then come back to the clinic so I could talk to him about his lab results and stuff. But we couldn't find him. Well, he was having a heart attack. Mm. Uh, according to his EKG and his lab work, we're like, my god where'd this man go unbeknownst to us he just thought it'd be okay to you know drive five miles out the out uh, the city limits and put his horse in the corral and then come on back into town and finish his visit with me never mm. in a million years we had to get the police out to find him get him back to the hospital put him in an ambulance send him up to the heart hospital and he had a stint that had you know had we waited he could have had a heart attack in that car. Oh, uh, wow! You know, and it was just a, you know, this something's not right. Let's just check this out. Mm-hmm. And um, and then like he said, I wouldn't be here today if if you hadn't did what you did. And I'm like, you know, you're right. And what if he had had to drive thirty or forty miles, um, to um. To to go to a regular hospital. Right.
0: Um, Right. Would
1: have made it. I don't know. Maybe i like to think he would have. But anyway, those are the stories that if you don't have rural hospitals, right? I don't know how you succeed and how you compete. And you've got more uh, people rolling into the big hospitals in trouble.
0: You save a lot. I mean, rural hospitals just save a lot more lives. Yes. it It extends. It's needed. And, you know, it's 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 super rich that's a great not just great story I mean that's just awesome what you did right well yeah. the other
1: analogy I use for people is, is tell me how many snake bites have ever happened in a big city
0: <laughs> you know
1: and so if you're gonna get rattlesnake bit don't you want to be 30 minutes from a hospital oh, or would yeah. you rather be an hour and 30 minutes from a hospital
0: yeah you want one right right there
1: yeah
0: Milly, this I'm- is this is a great Story. I guess what, what, one follow-up to that is like, so there, there's probably so much more like easy leadership or lazy leadership that could have, you know, if that scenario happened at some other hospital, I, pro- I can imagine it's happened probably about 17 times as we we've been doing this episode. That someone leaves a hospital, no one's going to chase after him, do that little extra step. Like, I guess where's that come from? Like, you sounds like you go the extra step, the extra mile. I could imagine you have dove for so many loose balls, and you're. your basketball career. That's That's diving for a loose ball. And so.
1: Well, every day and, and I look at it from a different perspective now than I did when I was a provider. But every day when I walked in the clinic, I, I knew I was taking care of somebody's baby, Mm
0: -hmm. somebody's
1: mama, somebody's Mm -hmm. daddy, somebody's grandmother. And I think I want, I want to think And I want to know if if I experience it, that somebody is showing up with that same. I'm going to do my very, very best to do my very, very best today and to take Mm -hmm. the very, very best care of the people that have trusted me and that are reaching out to me for help. Because I, I can't fix everybody. I don't I don't I'm not smart enough to fix everybody. But if somebody is going to come to me and say, even if they don't say the words help me. That they're coming into my clinic, they're coming into my hospital because they want things to be better. And then I am going to help get the things that my staff need. I'm going to get the nurses the training they need. I'm going to get the EMS, the, the Tinker Toys that I call it every time he, my guy tells me he needs something new. I'm like, if this is what it takes to help you take the very, very best care of the patients that you're going to interact with today, then I'm going to figure out a way that we can get it done. Mm. And so my take my very, very best every day now is not just the patients that are sitting in front of me. Cause I still see patients one Saturday a month
0: because mm-hmm. I think
1: that's what keeps me real. That's what got me where I'm at. Right. But if my very, very best now is looking at all my employees and saying, how can I help you be the best of who you can be? Because if you're the best, and that means you're taking the very best care of the patients right. that I love.
0: Right. I love that's it. That's
1: what keeps gets me up every morning and that's yeah. what keeps me up every night.
0: Yeah. Amen. Amen. No, I love it. I love it because, yeah, I mean, you know, you know having that performance mindset, keeping people optimal and charged up, I mean, it's just like, you know, that's one, you told me a story of one guy, one person, right? But mm-hmm. I mean, you're doing that every day and, you know said more positively it's just like yeah everyone shows up for work and shows up um that's just a life change and that's what makes the makes the difference uh that's interesting about the saturday stuff you do every now and then. that's got to keep you grounded that's awesome oh yeah yeah, yeah. well yeah.
1: I, I didn't i'm not going to give up what mm-hmm. what got me where i'm at and right and that's that's who i am um yep. you know we all one of my professors one time told me we're not caregivers well I, I i'm old enough and wise enough and i'd argue with her now to say yeah we are caregivers but we don't have to be codependent and we don't have to take it all home with us and we don't <laughs> have to be responsible if it doesn't go the way we wish it would but we at least have to show up and try
0: right right got to got yeah. to yeah i love it i love it no this is this is great Melanie. i i really appreciate it and um I guess, you know, uh, I've got one more question for you before okay. I ask it though. What is uh, a good way for people to connect with you online or, or reach out to you if they're interested in, uh, you know, saying hi?
1: Well, they can they can email me. Um, they they The easiest way would be to look at our website, um, mm-hmm. lchdhealthcare.org is mm-hmm. our website to the hospital. And my picture is on there and my email is on there. And mm-hmm. they're welcome to send me an email
0: awesome awesome That's, we'll link to that i'm on
1: link i do linkedin but i i'm not i'm not on a it all social time. Media yeah. person yeah. and so probably a good thing. probably, a good probably thing. like yeah. a d minus on that so. you're not
0: you're not missing a lot it's yeah. okay <laughs> it's a, it's a slippery slope it's yeah. it, it's the it's the new sugar but yeah. uh um my last question for you and so we'll link to that in the show notes for sure is uh, tell me about a routine, a, a morning routine, or maybe it's a weekly routine from a health perspective that really works for you. Um, you know, do you still run suicides or no, do layouts no. left handed nah. or right handed, or no. uh, what works for you these days?
1: So I, over the last ten years, I have well, when I turned a zero birthday, I almost mm-hmm. said my age I had a zero <laughs> birthday about ten years ago, mm-hmm. and I. Because I'm a competitor, I decided I had a personal challenge and I did a triathlon sprint and was probably in the best shape of my entire life, mm-hmm. even though it was suicidal to do all that mess. Mm-hmm. And so I really decided then that if I was going to stay healthy and feel good, that I needed to keep some type of physical activity. So mm-hmm. I, I, I have a free Friday. And so that's the only day that I eat sweets is on Friday. And so everybody in the hospital knows it. And so we always have a good dessert on Friday and I'll eat whatever I want on Friday. The rest of the time I try to do carb free or low carbs or just uh, fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. And then I work out every morning. I get up at five thirty every morning and work out um, half an hour. That's all I give it. I don't, I'm not one of these gym junkies. Right. I get there for half an hour and do, 30 minutes of cardiac or lift some weights. And I try to do that four days a week. I don't smoke. I drink socially. And so that's probably helped me um, stay not young and fit, but feel like I might be young and fit. <laughs> and, um, and then I get to the office about 7, 15, every morning and try to have the golden hour to look at emails and, you know, pray that I can get my desk sorted out. Mm-hmm. And then I get out and I go and I try to talk to every department head that is here at the hospital to see if they're having any issues that they need to troubleshoot with. And, and some people tell me, well, that's micromanaging. I'm like, I've got, I've got 150 people on my payroll. There's probably 75 of them on campus at any one time I can handle 15 directors There's, right. and I need to know what's going on because Absolutely. chances are it's going to cost some money. And if I need to be involved with what money is around, then I need to know what's going on in different departments and who has the bigger, the bigger need. Um, So that's, that's been my work philosophy. Even Mm -hmm. when I was still in practice, I would do the same thing. I would get there and look at charts, get the patients that I needed to get lined up to get called back based on lab results, sort of get a plan for my day. And then at the end of the day, I try to make a list of five things I didn't get done today that I need to get done tomorrow. And it kind of helps with where I start off in the morning.
0: I love it. I love it. That's a great, I, you know, it's a very similar kind of mode, except the Friday sweets have turned into sometimes a Friday all out uh, yeah. sweets for me. And, uh, and sometimes a Saturday night, but then I go back to yeah. the low lower, no carbon. Yeah. Well,
1: I just feel there. better, but you got to have a day. And, and I think your, your staff need to know that there's a day that you celebrate. And so we all have fun together and yeah. if do something crazy. We do it on a Friday because they want me to do it too. And I, I think it helps them see that you can do this. You, you can have some structure and some healthy choices in your life and still have fun. I, I'm not perfect. I, sometimes I eat them on Tuesday, but my, my my life mantra is let's have free Friday. Try to live within reason the rest of the time. Yes,
0: yes, I love it. I love the balance, and it's so important. It's good. It's good to see you know everyone get together and share yeah. share their humanity, right? You know, I mean, it's just so so keen so important. Yeah. I appreciate your rituals as well too. I was just listening sure. to something the other day about also. Um, breaking the myth about you know working out till you're sore, be, you know working out to failure. There's this whole new movement about like no, working no. out till you're sore. No need, no need for no, that. No. I'm yeah. giving
1: it thirty minutes. If it's, yeah, that's it if it, in can't be out. done in thirty minutes. I ain't doing it.
0: In and out, feel good, get clear. Yeah. I love it. I love it, yeah. Melanie. We can go on for I can jam out with you for a long time, but I, I know you got to probably run to another one. Yeah. Um, we got your contact information. I think the the greatest thing is you know continue to work on what you're doing. I promote you. To to just you know keep on you know growing leaders around you and then um, to our listeners out there this is the Pop Health Show this show is for anyone out there that has passion for health making other people healthier for making the population healthier might be one person it might be one million people the show is for you Melanie thanks again this was awesome this is hey, great thank
1: you appreciate thank it thank you so much You're okay bye 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 thanks. Bye-bye. thanks.